This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's time for another edition of the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. I'm Bethel Duran, as always, joined by Ricky Romero, former big league pitcher. And normally, Ricky, let's see, we went to Bora Bora, Costa Rica, but quarantine, we're still stuck at home. But luckily for you, the beaches are open, right? You're able to take the kids to the get some water? Yeah, yeah, they've been open. We've only been once. Uh, obviously, did the proper things, you know, practice all the stuff that they're preaching us to do. Uh, boys had fun. It's been good. Um, you know, just kind of looking forward to little things here and there opening up and hopefully getting back to a, a bit of a social life. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a social life. Things are starting to open up uh, here in Southern California. But today we're going to go to the middle of the country, Texas. We're going to meet one of your former teammates, a guy that you said since last year when we started the podcast, you're like, we got to get him on. We got to get him on. Vernon Wells. What did he mean to you in your career? Oh, man. I think. I mean, he probably doesn't even know it, but when I when I was a rookie, I mean, obviously the pitching staff have had Roy Halladay, the hitters, position players had Vernon Wells to look up to. But I think I I I looked up to him as well just because um, you know, he was a pro's pro, man, like just carried himself the right way. And like I said, he doesn't even probably doesn't even know it, but it's a guy that I really admired. I mean, when I was going through my contract stuff, he was one of the guys that actually was helping me and I was talking to and I could be open about it. And, you know, because he went through similar things um, and we obviously shared the same agency at the time. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a guy that, like I said, I, I looked up to and I admired um, and, you know, just, you know, like I said, pros pro man, like just, carried himself the right way. And, um, you know, I think that's the one thing they always say, just just be a professional about things and stuff like that. And I think he, you know, at times he he kind of kept me in check in that way. And now let's bring him on. Former teammate with Ricky in Toronto Blue Jays, played Major League Baseball, owner, co-owner of Jack Winery in Napa. Joining us now from Texas, Vernon Wells. You hear Ricky say that about you. You're, you're kind of looking around like, really? <laughs> I mean, I remember conversations we would have. I remember the contract during those negotiations and Ricky coming to me and freaking out about, man, they're offering me this and what should I do? And like, hey, just, just chill, man. Like you're in a, you're in a win-win situation and uh, just be patient with it and kind of going through that process, going through the process of talking to each other almost every fifth day when it was about that time for him to go out on the mound and, and, and try to dominate an opposing team and having conversations after after a good start, having conversations after a bad start, but just trusting your stuff. And you, 
and just just things like that that you have relationships with guys and uh it, it lasts I, he was always one of the guys like i i remember after my first complete game um it was against the texas rangers and a good friend of his was on that team michael young and he'd always like he'd always after that point he'd always walk by me and be like hey dude you're nasty just remember that you're nasty and i'd always just start laughing he's like trust it just trust it you know because you're young you're still trying to kind of find your way in and out of the league and 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 you still kind of you know you're you're trying to fit in and and stay there and 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 you know at times as a rookie you kind of doubt yourself and he'd always just say that he'd always just walk by me and be like hey just remember that just you're nasty and i'd be like all right <laughs> you remember doing that vernon i do i do i mean ricky was the type of person that uh, you wanted to be there for uh, humble kid coming up to the big leagues that's trying to make a name for himself on the staff that had that had Roy Halliday on it. Um, and for those of us who know Doc, uh, knew that if the only time you really saw Doc is if he was coming from the weight room to go to the field, like he was, he was always working. Um, and I'm sure as a starting pitcher, Ricky had a different relationship with him than, than some did. But uh, when you have a rookie that, that comes up and we're we're in the same like you said we're with the same agency so we're kind of in that same family and you want to look out for your boys and we needed him and we needed him to just to, to step up and be one of the guys that when we gave him the ball every fifth day we had a chance to win and he did that for us yeah. Bernie, did you guys hear journey. that random noise? Did you guys hear that random noise in the background i have a bathroom remodel going on behind me so <laughs> this 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 is this is live TV, so you know it sounds it weird, is. but it's really happening. Brian. Hey, we don't mess around, <laughs> man. Let's go all over the world. We got fans in the the Blue Jay fans in London. We got Canada. We got Texas. But it's the real life, though, because if you're in quarantine, you got a bunch of stuff going on in the house. So we appreciate you making the effort. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like like he said, you know, it, it was one of those things where um, I was. I, I say it from day one. I mean, I was coming into a team that was full of veteran guys. So it's like, you know, you're trying to find your place on the team. You're, you know, you're trying to, the first thing you hear is keep your ears open, keep your mouth shut type thing. And then next thing you know, as you know, Vernon, I'm put right next to BJ Ryan and Scott Downs in the locker room. And, and BJ is an intimidating guy, you know, and, and like, you know, very like, Hey, this is by the book. Like, this is what we're going to do and stuff like that. And, Hey man, you know, my respect and, and, you know, I think I learned at a very young age or there at a, as a rookie, I learned right, right away saying like, okay, I, I, I gotta know when to speak and when not to speak. And I think that's why uh, having you guys obviously go me go about it the right way. It helped me because you guys were like, okay, he's, he gets it. Now we can help him. You know? <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, and Vernon, so, for you, yeah, being you know, stuck in between. Well, being stuck in between B.J. Ryan and Scott Downs, those are like two polar opposite personalities, too. Like, Scotty Downs <laughs> was as laid back as they came. Uh, like B.J. Ryan, like, was as intense as they came. And they both yeah. played different roles. Two lefties that played two completely different roles on our, in, our, in, our, in our bullpen. So, uh, yeah, Ricky, you're kind of pulling out. You, you, you saw one side that was laid back and one side that was maybe a little too into it. Man, I made a I made a joke about BJ's head size one day, and he didn't talk to me for like a month and a half. So that's how intense <laughs> BJ was. 
Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Ricky's been telling some of these stories, and it's like, yeah. It's but a, I know I know Beto wanted to before we before we even get into anything else. Like I know Beto wanted to get into the wine. Like how did that come about for you, man? Like I know you know post baseball, I've never really heard you talk about wine or anything like that. How, like were you just like, yeah, this is a well, to I mean, own a wine. you know, being, being on the road and going to steakhouses and drinking good wine. Uh, when I was with Chris, Chris I know with the Angels and we were both hurt at the time. Uh, we're at a steakhouse drinking wine and probably after the second, third bottle, I don't know what it was. And uh, we said, let's, let's, let's make our own wine. And it, I got done playing before he did and figured, you know what, let's, we talked about it, let's do it. So we started and had our first registers in 2012 and obviously going through the process of learning what it takes to, to, actually produce a quality wine has has been an education in its own right and then trying to sell it and and grow it uh, at a rate where you can be successful uh, but still make a really quality product which we have to this point that's crazy so you just said let's start winery on on bledsoe i saw the e60 on drew bledsoe and how big of a wine guy he is like, are you that involved in the wine? Like, are you like there? Like, all right, like this, uh, yes, no. Like, are you that involved, the, like the way he is, or are you kind of just sit back and kind of they make it and use? Yeah, so he has the luxury of being on the west coast and and being involved a little bit more. Uh, Chris, Chris, and I were, I mean, we're as involved as we can be. Uh, we don't have the science major to to understand the the process that takes to make to make that wine. But when it comes to the tastings and the direction that we want to go, and the quality of wine, the grapes that we're uh, that we're making our wine with, and the locations and and things like that, when it comes to picking out the varietals, uh, yeah, I mean that's something that we're we're fully involved in. Uh, I actually have a property up in Napa uh, that has Merlot grapes on it that taste as good as any cab grape that you can that you can think of. So. Uh, now the process is do we want to make a Merlot and then how much do we want to make because it's uh, they're state grown grapes it's a, that's my property <laughs> you know that's you awesome. know you we know, got Ricky Ricky Ricky, Ricky, Ricky I don't know if you're I don't know I don't know if you remember Ricky but I used to walk around singing the song uh, I want to be a billionaire remember that song yeah 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 people used to yell at me every time I sang it but it's part of the process <laughs> So the next podcast, we're going straight to Napa, Rick. We are moving the podcast to Napa. We have location. We're doing, forget baseball talk. We're going to just do a wine podcast. Why not? I mean, it's pretty cool. It's interesting because I, I was doing some research and it's uh, the, the name Jack comes from the, it's an acronym for the name of your kids, yours and Chris's kids' name. So you guys took the first letter of each one. But it's just to get involved. And it all happened because you guys were hurt a year with the Angels and it's something that was a distraction for you, but you hear so many different people going to different avenues. And that's part of what I like about you, Vernon, just, I don't know you, but just being around you a little bit when I cover the Angels was that you were always a guy who just seemed like you, baseball isn't your identity when sports has been your whole identity your entire life. And Ricky and I, we've talked about this too. The transition from being a retired player to just being a civilian, that's hard. How hard was that for you? Uh, it wasn't, um, I mean, I, I had kind of done everything possible in the game of baseball. Uh, I've been at the top of the game. I've been at the bottom of the game. I mean, it's, 
I ran the gamut when it came to uh, some really good Blue Jay years, some really bad Angel years, to some mediocre uh, one Yankee years. To um, through that time, like playing, I knew I kind of reached the point to where I couldn't, I couldn't physically do what my mind wanted it to do anymore. And at that point, you're like, this is frustrating because mentally, I still, I still felt like I was a 25-year-old kid that can hit 30 and hit, hit 300 and drive in 100, but physically my body just couldn't do that. Uh, so the one opportunity that I had a chance to kind of choose what my future was going to be, and my boys at the time were like 12 and 10, and I knew that was, it was time for me to be a dad. Uh, I lived my dream, uh, and like you said, my identity wasn't in baseball. Like uh, I'm a believer, so my identity is in Christ, so it's like Baseball gave me a platform to be able to bless so many people and be in the lives of so many different people and, and make relationships around the game and, and different things like that. But my, my identity is, is, was not in that. It was something that I was blessed to be able to do. Uh, and it gave me the ability to do it. And I, I went at it as hard and as far as I could. But when it was time to be done, it was time to be done and, and then start the next chapter in my life. So I felt like that first chapter was, was good. Uh, and now it was uh, now it's time to build on that with my family and whatever we do outside of it. I mean, that's pretty cool, man. And and like I said, I we were teammates during when I remember when you got traded. I think we were we were in the middle of a winter tour. It was in the off season, and somebody mentioned to us, "They're like, hey, uh, we were about to go do an event, and it was like, hey, Vernon got traded, and it was like an instant." everyone was like quiet. The whole bus was quiet. They were like, whoa, no way. Like, this is the guy that, you know, has led this team and been a big part of this organization. How tough was it for you to, like, leave the city of Toronto when you heard you've been traded? Because you, you pretty much grew up there from high school all the way, you know, to whenever you got traded in 2000 and whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was, 2000. That, was that? that was after 2010 I got traded. Uh, but, yeah, that was... I remember, I remember making that decision. Uh, well, Alex and Bob Plus and I had, had conversations about, uh, like he had called me a month before I actually got traded and kind of feeling me out without saying what he was trying to do, but I knew exactly what he was trying to do. So we went through lists of the teams and I'm like, well, if I'm going to go here, I don't want to play for that team. Or if I'm going to go there, blah, blah, blah. Knowing full well that it was just like, he was trying to basically take teams off the board that had inquired about me at the time. Um, so he called me, and I was actually at a Mavericks Lakers game uh, here in Dallas. And he said, "We got a trade for you. Work out for you with the Angels. It's it's up to you if you want to take it." Um, and we kind of just talked about what the future of the team was going to be in the direction that he wanted to go. Uh, and we had Alex and I had always had those open conversations because if we're going to if we're going to bring in guys. What do you think about this guy or manager or whatever, whatever it may be? Um, so at that point, making phone calls to guys after that was the hardest thing, just because, like like you said, Ricky, that was, that was my home. Like, that was my second home. Um, I was got drafted when I was 18, left when I was 31 or whatever. So that was, that was part of the, the most difficult time and transition uh, when it came to baseball because... That's all I knew. And at that point, you realize how how comfort really is a big thing in the sense of the game. 
Yeah, and, and I business. think a lot of a lot of times, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, maybe Anaheim, obviously you come to California, it's awesome, you know, weather all the time. And um, but you know, as they say sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side, you know, and I'm not saying it was or it wasn't, but you know, when you known one place your whole career it, I, I can see how it can be tough shoot i only spent i uh four plus years in the big leagues 10 with the organization and when i got released it was like i felt like it was the end of the world <laughs> you know but then you you walk into when i walked into the giants clubhouse you're like okay this this is a business this is just the way it is you know this is like it's just like guys come guys go and it's just it's just the way it is you know it's Nobody really has time. You can't sit there and pout because it's like, all right, I got to strap it on with this team now. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. And Ricky, you know this about me. It's good or bad. Like, you never look back and think, man, I should have made a different decision. Like, we go through life and it's, you you learn from every decision that you make. So you make decisions in the moment and you, if, there, if everything works out, great. If everything doesn't work out, great. But there's always a learning lesson on any of it. So uh, I'm glad I went through it. I'm glad I went through the struggles. You kind of learn a lot more about yourself when you go through struggles than you do when you're when you're when everything is going going well. So uh, that's not only in baseball, but that's in life. So it was for me. It was yeah. It wasn't. I wish I could have performed better. I wish I could have been younger when I was with the Angels to show what I was capable of doing. But it, at that time. Mike Trout was coming. So it really didn't matter what the heck I was going to do. He was going to take my spot anyways. <laughs> That's what's crazy, man. It was like, it was you. I mean, you, I'm for me, you were probably one of the best center fielders that I ever played with, you know? And, and then you go to Anaheim and you're, it's you, um, Mike Trout and Tori Hunter, you know? And it's like, holy smokes that out, like, that's like a dream outfield, you know? I mean, so many gold gloves and then the, the, the future of baseball is playing center field. Like mm-hmm. that was crazy to kind of, kind of see that, you know, and you got to see a young Mike Trout, you know, before, like, I mean, he already had made a bit of a name for himself, but like, obviously now it's like, he is the face of baseball. Like how, how was it like seeing him grow into this like superstar? It was one of the most amazing things I've ever been a part of. Um, like he came to the big leagues, like he got called up the first time uh, and struggled, struggled in 11. Um, and then the next time he got to the big leagues, he wasn't going to leave. And every day you would think, well, he can't do anything else to impress me. And he'd do something again the next day. It's like, whoa. So, yes, yeah, playing left field, Trout's playing center, Tori's playing right. And just the conversations we would have about, just the game, like, cause he's a kid. And when we talk about situations, Hey, if the ball's hit here, what are you going to do? Um, and understanding he's like, man, we never really talked about this stuff in the minor league. But he's like, and Tori and I were like, man, you need to, you need to know exactly what, you, what's going to happen before the ball's hit. Have everything already played out in your mind. So you're prepared for everything. So that was our conversation. And then he kind of got to the point where we go to New York later on in the season and him being a Jersey kid, the pull of media and just trying to be pulled in every direction. And I remember him coming to me and kind of saying, man, this is, this is nuts. Like, what do I do? Like, do I say no? I said, Mike, or I'm going to call him Trout at that point, but I don't know. Probably should have called him Mr. Trout now, now that I look at it. But, um, 
he was, he was, uh, I said, listen, the way you handle this, this is going to kind of define how, who you are from this point on. Cause he was a humble kid and, and still is the same humble individual, even though he's accomplished more than most people in this game have ever accomplished. He's still the same person as he was when he first got to the big leagues. And that's, that's what, that's what I love most about him is that he's, he's a freak when it comes to what he does on the baseball field, but he's a, he's a, he's a great dude. But I think that the coolest thing about it is that to have two mentors like that, usually you have one mentor, you know, or somebody you look up to, to have two mentors playing alongside you, gold glove, you know, gifted guys, like that must've been cool for him. I mean, like what a, what a way to be able to come into the league and just be like, bam, like these guys are going to be able to help me. And for you, it shows the professionalism that you guys showed too, obviously, because not every superstar takes you under their wing uh let's be honest and but like the fact that you guys took them under your wing i I mean speaks volumes of you know the type of people that you guys are i mean i only had conversations with tory you know playing against him but and he always seemed like a cool dude but everything i've heard it's like he's a first class human being too oh yeah he is no doubt like the personality he he loves everybody uh unless you cross him and if you cross him (laughs) that 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 hood will come out of him, that Arkansas hood will come out of him, and I've seen Tory it, honey. and that's not a part of story you want to see. So, yes. Uh, and there's a couple stories of seeing it come out, I'm, I'm like, whoa, you do not yeah. want to get in Tory's way when that happens. Yeah, I was covering that team for ESPN at that time, and I remember, you know, Tory grabbed Trout, his first real season was like, okay, your, your locker is going to be in my mind. Like, you guys put him on that side, like where uh, the outfielders would be, and Tory would do his media session first and like Trout would stand there, Rick, and watch and listen to what Tory was saying. And then when Tory moved on, I remember doing an interview with Mike and all of a sudden I'm like, is this Mike Trout talking or is it Tory Hunter? It's like the <laughs> the similarities, but that mentorship, and that's something that guys have come on the podcast before, uh, Vernon have talked about how the mentorship from a veteran guy could be really good or it could be salty. And it's just either way, but you always struck me as a guy who was like, you worked in silence, but at the same time, if somebody was there, you made sure you put an arm around them. I think that's something that Ricky always uh, said about you. Why is that important, and was that important for you? Well, I think for me, like, like we kind of talked about before, like, the game didn't find me. Like, my biggest thing was the relationships that you're able to form. Uh, you get to know guys at a different level than, well, you should get to know guys at a different level because you're with them every day. You're with them just as much as you're with your family, if not more. So they need to become a family. And in my time playing, I, I tried to care more about the guys around me than I did about myself. So uh, if, I, if it seemed like something was going wrong with them or they were off in some way, uh, I wanted to be the one that tried to try to reach out whether they wanted to reciprocate that or not and be open and talk about things that's that's whatever but yeah for me it was that's what stuck out for me as far as the game was be someone who's approachable uh, be someone who is who's concerned about others more than themselves uh, and build relationships and i'm not going to say i was like that every day but i tried to be like that in those days. <laughs> Yeah, your teammates speak well of you. <laughs> well, and I was gonna say about though, you definitely saw that though. You 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 saw that and um and you know whether in the game of baseball there's ups, there's downs, everybody knows that. And I think like I said, Vernon always like 
was pretty even. Like he never got too high, he never got too low. Like he was the same guy. And I know there's pressure comes with you know obviously for, I mean I'm speaking for experience you know of signing a contract and then you you're kind of trying to live up to it and trying to you know you you're putting pressure on yourself but you're also going out there I'm good I'm good like it's gonna happen it's gonna turn around this and that and how much how much pressure for you Vernon did you feel, you know after after all that stuff happened you know where you sign a contract and you know you're established now and and, and sometimes you know in the baseball, things don't go the way you want them to go. Yeah, um, man, those those are kind of roller coaster times. Like you, you try to battle the the urge to try to do more uh, because of the contract that you signed, even though you signed the contract based off of past performance. So you you're you're trying to fight it on both sides and trying to to prove that you're worth that. But even when I signed the contract at the press conference, they're like, "Are you worth this?" I'm like, "No." not worth this no one's worth this amount of money but this is what the market bears so you have to understand that process so that's that's an okay business it's entertainment and people are going to pay for pay for that and pay market value for that or they go someplace else so it was it was battling that and then you kind of come to an understanding of like i'm going to do everything i can to prepare for each and every day and whatever happens happens because some stuff is out of your control you can go out here for line drives and you go for four and people are like, you suck. And I was like, well, I did everything I could, but I just wasn't successful. I hit the ball up for people that have been playing in the same position for a hundred and some odd years. Really, it's just stupid hitting, but I can't place it, place a ball where I want to. So it's just, yeah, I suck. And I, it's funny just having conversations with fans during games and stuff. I'm like, oh, you suck. I'm like, you got to come up with something better than that. Because I've heard that enough. I'm like, say something that's going to make me laugh and then we can move on and I can laugh, you can laugh. And so, but that's what I love about Yankee Stadium. Like Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium, and then new Yankee Stadium got a little got got into it towards the end. But that bleacher section was the best. Like yeah, they were they. Oh man, I love that place. Like they as, they as would say stuff that should not be said in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, had whole, like, I had the whole bleacher section. I had the whole bleacher section chanting a-hole at me, like the entire section. I mean, and, and that's a lot of people, and it's really loud, and it was awesome. <laughs> what do you do? Like, do you turn around? Do you acknowledge them, those those creatures out there in Redfield? Oh, right yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to have fun with it. Like, they're, they they seem to feast on weakness. Um, and they, I think, if somebody, they have this innate ability to be able to sense weakness. Like, if you don't... If you don't acknowledge them, they're like, uh, we know you hear us and we will get louder. I'm like, so I'd be I I'd wave to them and they start talking trash and I'd turn around and put my glove like behind my butt, like I'm talking out of my rear end to them, and they would lose their minds. And it was just it was awesome. And at the end of the day, at the end of the game, they're like, Hey Vernon, we'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, see you fellas, and we'll, we'll get right, right back at it the next day. Hey, if you were to get a hit or do something big, would you turn around like between innings and look at them? No, because they were probably booing at whoever gave up the hit or made made <laughs> didn't make a play or whatever. So they they were fully in tune to what was going on, and that was that was the coolest thing about playing Yankee Stadium and then being a Yankee. Um, is I had always admired the Yankees from even my AAA days. Like just something was different about that organization. 
uh, and then finally getting a chance to play there in my last year, it was, it was, it was, it was very surreal for me because I've always thought they were different and putting on the pinstripes was different. Like it was a different expectation. It was what, what comes with this uniform is tradition. What comes with this uniform is winning and it doesn't matter who has it on that's your, that's their expectation. And if that is a, if as an organization, you are able to establish that, man, there's, there's no, there's no feeling like it. So, uh, and then getting a chance to be a part of the roll call as opposed to being chanted and being told that my mother hates me and things like that, or I haven't stuck in the video games or there's a, there's, there's a full game of things I heard from, from Yankee fans. <laughs> you suck in the video games. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was like, why you got to go to video games? But yeah, it depended on the year. Like if, what year are we talking about here? Like we're talking about <laughs> 07. Yeah. I probably sucked in 07. Well, what about 06? What about that game? I was probably really good in that game. Like, yeah, you're probably good in that game. So I was like, ha, got you. <laughs> you would throw balls to the, to the sometimes too, right? Oh man. I, I, it's, it's funny. I just, I just saw this, uh, that article. Uh, so we were in Cleveland one day and this, and it was, it was when Cleveland wasn't very good, so there weren't that many people in the stands, and it was probably raining and cold. And I had this one guy just above me, just he wouldn't shut up. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he wasn't being funny, and he was just yelling, you suck all the time, over and over again. I'm like, I forget it. So it ended up an inning. I come in, I was like, guys, I need a ball and I need a pin. So they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, just give me a ball and a pin. I'm like, so I write on the ball, I think it was Dear Mr. Dork. Um, I don't come to your job while you're pumping gas and yell at you. Please shut your mouth and enjoy the game. And signed it. So <laughs> I take it out. The next, I take it out the next half inning and I throw him the ball and he's celebrating. I'm like, no, 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 no. Read it. And he's, he reads it. He was reading it, reading it, reading it, and looks at, looks at me. And his friends are reading at the same time. They just all die laughing. And then it ends up in the paper the next day. I'm like, seriously, like this is like this is like between me and you. Now it's national news. Like, frick. <laughs> and that's the stuff though the outfielders here like ricky the pitchers they're locked in they're in the zone jp's catching he's talking to everybody in the world but the outfielders you're the ones closest to the fans and you hear all kinds of stuff like and now with google and research people can find out everything about you and you got to have that mm -hmm. right attitude as you said it those yankee fans they feast on weakness and but overall, people know everything about you. Isn't that kind of a little scary, too? Yeah, I mean, you get used to it. Like, yeah, I mean, people people knew my kids' names. People knew my wife's name. Like, it was, is there a white screen over my face? Is that me? Y'all see that? Oh, yeah, okay, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that, my big, not my big the fan from Cleveland um, got you. So, yeah, that, none of that was... Uh, Never an issue, ever an issue, just because, like you said, like the information that our fing everybody's fingertips, like it's even worse now. Like when yeah. I first came in, a lot of social media stuff wasn't around. It was just becoming to get big. And now it's people will find you. People will say anything and everything they want about you. It's just like, it's a completely different world now. Yeah, it's a different world. Different from 1997 when you got drafted. Now, Vernon, you were drafted fifth overall, correct? Correct. You had a scholarship offer to go to Texas as a receiver. I was gonna play football. I didn't know what position. Like I played, I played quarterback in high school, uh, but I wanted to play receiver. But 
I probably would end up playing like the safety position or something like that. How close and, were you to saying you don't want to Texas? Not very. Like, <laughs> uh, I mean, my my senior year of baseball comes around and whatever, have a good senior year. And then I start getting phone calls from teams uh, from like 15 on down. And then it, this is like a week before the draft. So start off with the Rockies at like 15 and then all the way down to the Blue Jays at five. Um, and at that point they came in and like, we want, we want, we want to take you. And it's like, great. And the negotiation lasted probably about two minutes. So we had a pre-draft deal done and there wasn't no flying. There was no flying in New York. It was a phone call sitting in my living room in Arlington. So it was different times than it is now. And, and Vern, your pops played in the CFL, right? He did. What team did he play for? Uh, he played for Calgary. Yeah, he was in Calgary for I think two years, um, and was went to camp with the Chiefs as a receiver. Uh, got hurt, and then I was born shortly thereafter, so I ruined his football career. <laughs> <laughs> but his artistic yeah. career, as as some of the ball players know, is crazy you need to see some of these paintings Beto. it's yeah insane i mean which is a the old old uh texas when you walk into the rangers clubhouse the visiting clubhouse and there's all his paintings everywhere and actually man. we got some of those uh, if john will pull it up vernon wells uh seniors artwork uh and it's been commissioned and all over the place and you see some of these things and like like this is just crazy some of the stuff that he's done vernon yeah that was my first, my first, my first full season. My dad was really excited. Obviously, I drove in hundred runs, so he decided to make a picture of it. Um, and then, yeah, Matt Kemp. He was a good one. He was scary. Like he was scary good. Matt Kemp almost trout good, but not yeah, almost trout good, but not as close. Yeah, it's a yeah, no, yo, Vernon. You oh, go ahead, Rick. Go ahead, Vernon. No, so Vernon, you get drafted. You're in high school, so Texas was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll go there," but not really. You're a baseball guy. When did you realize, you know what? I'm different from everybody else. Like, at what age were you like, "I'm, I'm, I'm just that guy"? You know what? It's funny. Like, I talked to my dad about this. I never paid attention to it. Like, my dad was never one to like overly praise things. Like, he was just. I guess kind of like me when it comes to those things. Like we just thought, like we were playing on the best summer team in the nation. Like we, we think we played 80 games in my summer after my junior year, and we lost like three games. Like, and it was I was playing on a really good team, hit 500 for the summer, um, and I'm just like, well, this is I really enjoy doing this, but I can't wait for football season. So football was my number one passion, and it was just a matter of which one is the smarter choice. Um, and obviously when it comes to comes to what your body is going to feel like after you're done playing and however long that time is, baseball became uh, my choice. I love baseball. It's just a different passion than it was than, than football. Football is just, it's one of those things I love even coaching to this day because um, you, you, you start to tap into some things that uh, what kind of, I'm not going to say define you as a man, but kind of helps you get to a point where you can you can get to that frustration factor and get it out and it's legal in football you do some of that <laughs> stuff in baseball you're gonna get suspended and fine but 
you do in football. It's all legal. I love it. I was going to say, so as you, as you make your journey as a top draft pick, how, how long did it take you to get from drafted to the big leagues? How long did it take you to, to get your first call up? So I got drafted in 97 and got to the big leagues uh, in 99. Um, 99. Jeez. So I got there quick. Yeah. We're so like- it was, it was nuts. Like 99 was, 99 was the craziest year of my career. Um, so I get done playing in Hagerstown in 98. Uh, then they had, I went to Australian Fall League after, after Instructs of 98. Um, come back home for a week after Australia. Uh, go to big league camp. And then start in Dunedin. Uh, play the first half of the season in Dunedin uh, in high A. Then go to Knoxville AA for a month. Get called up to AAA in, in Syracuse for a month. And then get called up to the big leagues. Uh, and then after that, Jeez. went to the Fall League. So... I didn't stop playing baseball for well over a year um, or two years, actually. So I was exhausted after that point. I remember being in the fall league and I was crushing balls and they were hitting the fence. Cause I couldn't, I just didn't have any more. Enemies. So I led the league in doubles in the fall league cause I hit more homers. Uh, <laughs> but that was, it was a great, it was a, it was a fun year. It was a crazy year. Um, my, my wife now, or my girlfriend at the time, she would, she moved me from Dunedin to Knoxville, from Knoxville to Syracuse, and from Syracuse to Toronto. So she's uh, she's she's been through the thick of it with me. And you get called up 20 years old? Yeah, it's 20. It was, yeah, 20. They threw me right in a two spot, like, like all right, let's do this. And my, my manager at the time was Jim Fergosi, uh, who's since passed. But it was funny. Yeah. He... Um, so my first two games, I didn't get a hit. And then a reporter comes to me and says, well, your manager says that uh, this stage may be too big for you. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and the next game, I go two for three, score game-winning run. And then the reporter comes to me and says, man, your manager says you're going to be something else. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, that's, that's baseball for you. Who would you credit, like, as a rookie, who who would you credit as, like, being a mentor to you that kind of took you under that wing of, like, showing you the ropes? Yeah. So early on, like, it was it was, it was was rough because I was trying to break into an outfield that had Jose Cruz Jr., that had Shannon Stewart, Sean Green, Raul Mondesi. Like, it was – there was some ruffle, ruffled feathers when I got to the big leagues because um, – Jose, Jose Cruz Jr. was boys with everybody. Uh, he was close with Delgado, close with Greeny. Like, it was it was kind of like I was stepping on some toes in a way, uh, being this 20-year-old kid. Chrissy had got sent back to AAA, so it was it was uncomfortable there for a little bit because I was kind of the one who shouldn't be there and Chrissy should be. So that's when I kind of realized kind of what you said, Ricky, was like, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Uh, I'm going to go sit on the inside seat on the bus and please pray that another young guy comes and sits next to me on the bus because I don't want to get yelled at. Um, and after that, after we kind of got through that period of those next couple of years, uh, Delgado was one of the guys who I ended up hitting in front of him. So the conversations that we would have about pitchers, about he'd, he'd ask, what do you think in this situation? Uh, like a reliever would be coming in, coming in to come face me. Uh, because I was hitting after Frank Calinato, who was a lefty. And then 
Delgado who's left you behind me. So they bring in a righty and it's like, so what are you thinking? I'm like, uh, I don't know, probably thinking he's going to probably try to throw me a slider depending on who it was. He's like, all right, if that's what you want to hit, then you wait for it and, and don't miss it. So those type of conversations and things we'd have, it was, it was things that I would try to try to re- emulate and have those conversations with Rios, but with Alex Rios. But the difference with Alex Rios was Alex, Alex didn't even know who we were facing sometimes. Like, I'm like, I'm like, Alex, like, dude, this is, do you know who this is? And he's like, no, who is it? I'm like, seriously, like we've, we've been doing this for like 80 something games already. And you don't even know who this is. He's like, no, what does he have? I'm like, well, he's got a fastball. He's got a slider and a pretty good changer. Is that okay? And you go out and get three hits. I'm like, freak. Like if you actually is, is sometimes I want to slap Alex. And he was, he was, he was one of the strongest individuals I had ever been around. Like he was, he was lean and, and, and long, but I walked into the weight room one day and he was, he grabbed like the 60s or 65s. And I'm thinking he's going to go to the bench and do some bench press. And he goes and sits back on an incline bench and just starts doing bicep curls with 65s. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I, I was, go, I was going in to work out. And I saw that, and I went right back in the clubhouse. So I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna get embarrassed by. Handshakes by were the worst. His handshakes were put on your knees, dude. That's how strong he was. Like, he'd like shake your hand, and like he'd squeeze, and it was like, oh no, and like just let go, dude. He's the only guy I've ever heard that, I and I've heard it. I never saw it that he could break a helmet, a big league helmet, in half. No, that's what I've heard. Yes, I I, I saw it. You we saw were, this. Uh, we were, yeah. we were in Detroit, um, and <laughs> there's a couple of different there's a couple of different Rio stories of him snapping. So, with the with the helmet, we're in Detroit, and he had made an out, and he came back to the dugout, and I'm I'm supposed to be going on deck, and I'm kind of looking at him, and he's sitting on the bench, and he's got he's got the helmet on both sides like this, and I'm kind of looking at him, and I'm. I know something something crazy is about to happen. And mind you, I'm supposed to be getting ready for an at-bat. So I'm still kind of looking at him. And he's just, he's fuming and goes, snap, and snaps the helmet right in half. I'm like, what in the heck? Like, he <laughs> is so strong. Like, it, it's scary how strong he is. A big league helmet, dude. Think about how hard that is. Yeah, they have to go through all the safety testing. To, you know, yeah. you're not supposed to do that. And this guy did it with just his hands. They didn't go through the Rios test, though. They didn't test that one. Because nobody, nobody's supposed to be doing stupid stuff like that. Nobody should be crazy enough to do stuff like that. But Alex, would, he would snap, man, and it was it was funny. You said that, too, like, uh, Vernon, where you're like, we're 80 games into this season, and you have no idea where we're at. And, and like you said, it with Fergosi, baseball, right? Baseball is so different with so many different characters. Like, in football, if you don't know what's going on, you're going to get hurt. Like, you're not going to play. But mm-hmm. in baseball, the characters you run into, like, it's part of the beauty and also part of the frustration, too, right? Because you got these freak athletes where you're like, how do you do this? Like, Ricky was talking about a guy just coming in throwing 100 for, like, nothing. And it's like, oh, I don't even know what city we're in right now. Like, how do you do this as a guy who's like, I'm putting my work in, my preparation, and you just see a freak come by like that? It's it's funny. It's frustrating. It's uh, you're in awe sometimes like all of it. Like it's, it's fun to watch. Like 
I mean, I know you had you had you had Jose on uh, last, and Batista was. I remember when he got to the Blue Jays, um, and he was still, kind of still a journeyman at the time, and trying to figure out who he was. But he had some pop. You knew he had a great arm, uh, and him trying to figure that part out. And I remember being in spring training in 2010, uh, and kind of some early spring training at bats, uh, and we would kind of talk about him. Like, and he had the leg kick, and like. Jose, if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna have a leg kick, you need to get ready early. Like I did get ready early. I was like, no, even earlier. Like get that thing up there and just wait. So you can just slow everything down. And then all of a sudden he hits 50 something home runs in front of me and he's pimping balls left and right. And I'm like, oh man, now I'm gonna get hit for you pimping balls. And if I get I'd say I told him one day, I was like, Jose, if I get hit because of what you do, you pimping balls, I'm gonna hit you. So that's that's where we're gonna be. <laughs> you never really got hit though, did you? No, man. You knew me. I was trying to make I was trying to make friends with everybody. So like, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what language you spoke. If I was trying to make friends with you, like, um, a, we've we've faced a couple pitchers like over the course of my career. That I'm like, they don't know where the ball's going unless they're going to hit you. So my thing was like, I'm going to make sure I'm going to be friends with that person. So he may not speak the league of English, but every time I see him, I'm going to say, what's up, man? How are you? Because I don't want to be the guy that gets hit when things go sideways. And it happened on a couple occasions. And it wasn't me the one that got hit. It was Eric Kinski that got hit. And Eric Kinski got hit because he didn't want to befriend anybody. So I'm like, ha, you got to be smarter than that. <laughs> what's that like, Vernon, stepping into the box where you know that there's a guy who has no clue where that ball's going. Afraid for your life. I mean, it's pretty much what it is. Like, there's... I, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but uh, he was with the Orioles. He's like 6'8", 280, 290. Like, just strong as an ox. Who? Danny Cabrera. Danny Cabrera. Yes, Danny Cabrera. Yeah, Danny Cabrera. Oh, that guy. So, yeah, he was, like... He was, he was, he could be really good. And he could really be, be really bad. Like if he was for some reason throwing strikes, he was nasty. Like he was like, he would throw 98 to hundred. His curveball was like 88 to 90, but it looked like his fastball somehow, which I never knew was even possible. So one, I was afraid for my life because he, he would, he could hit you at any point. And then two, I couldn't see his curveball. So I think I started off like 0 for 22, 0 for 23 against him. Just sh- just straight fear factor most of it so we were playing in baltimore we were playing in baltimore one day and i was hitting i was hitting four uh and so we we adopted this as a team we adopted this mantra that we're just going to go up to the plate and just have the statue approach so we weren't going to take the bat off our shoulder unless i mean it was just we were figuring he's going to throw four balls before he threw three strikes so (laughs) First guy goes up there, walks. Second guy goes up there, walks. Third guy, walks. So I got bases loaded, no outs. So I'm like, all right, guess the statue approach is working. Sure enough, I get up there, first pitch, ball. And I'm like, ooh, I see that. I'm kind of seeing that kind of well. Second pitch, ball. It's like, oof, I think I saw that one well too. Third pitch, ball. I'm thinking, man, I think I could square one up right here. It's 3-0. Still hadn't thrown a strike. 
So I'm, I look down at my third base coach and I get the green light. And apparently he wasn't really on, he wasn't on the same conversation with the statue approach. And some, for some reason, his thoughts align with my thoughts. I'm thinking, I got a chance. Meanwhile, I'm still over like 20 against them at this point. But I was thinking, this is the one. This is this is the time. So three, three, three old pitches coming, swing, miss it by probably three inches. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why do I swing at that ball? And I kind of look at their dugout and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> three, one pitch. I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking like I'm I'm seeing the ball well. I think, I think this is it. Three, one fastball, miss it probably by another six inches. I'm like, why? Why did I just swing the bat? I don't understand why I'm why I'm doing this. And look at the dugout again. They're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't know, man. I'm, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm internally. I'm like, I'm seeing the ball well. Like I got this, fellas. I got it. Trust me." Three two missed a sinker by a mile, and I'm walking back to the dugout, and everybody's got their hands up. They're like, and I'm like, I don't know what happened. Like I had an out of body experience, and all of a sudden I'm walking back to the dugout, and he probably threw eight balls, and I'm and I'm walking back to the dugout and struck out. So. Those are the stupid things that happen over the course of the season that you just can't explain sometimes. <laughs> Baseball. Who was it's a. What was that? Right? What did you say? I said, who was the manager at the time? I think it was Gibby. I think Gibby oh. was there, and you know Gibby. Gibby's like, Gibby look at you like, dumbass. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know I was, but like. Uh, I remember those. It was one of the few times where, like, I never really had, I never really had run-ins with teammates. So, like, twice, and over a course of like a thirteen-year career, it's like there's only two, two teammates that you ever come close to fighting. Two of them were on that team, I think, actually. So, one somebody said something sideways, and I was like, I probably deserved it, but it probably wasn't the right time. So we almost fought in the dugout. It was kind of awesome, but it never happened. I'm not gonna in say the names, Ricky, but you may know who they are. No, I don't even. I don't even remember you. I wasn't there, so I was probably. Getting, yeah, you weren't there at that time. I was getting my ass kicked in Double A, so I wasn't watching many of your games. <laughs> it's one of those things where you come back to the dugout, somebody says something, and you just like, I'm done. Well, it, it was kind of like in the moment, it was everybody was kind of like confused of what just took place as I was confused of what took place. The comment came like another couple innings after it and kind of a snide comment from someone who already kind of had issues with it just because of the way that they were. And I almost lost it, which I'm glad I didn't in retrospect, but it was, it was close. It would have been. Hey, a, that's not too bad though, Vernon, because for a 13 year career, only two little mini altercations for being a calm guy that you are. That's, that's good. That's good. We'll give you credit for that. I think, I think so, man. Like even even like fights, even fights with like when we'd have brawls with teams, like nothing, no, none of them really ever involved me because like I told you, I'm I'm friends with everybody and I'm not gonna be the one that's gonna be it's gonna go down. But several times it happened when I was in the outfield. So being at Old Yankee Stadium and Jesse Carlson hits Posada and Posada just he just rages like. He loses. He loses his crap. What'd you say? He crossed home. He crossed home plate. Yes, mm-hmm. and it was the the fight ended up in their dugout. Like Shelly 
Shelly Duncan was throwing haymakers just for no reason. Um, and Carlson comes out of this thing with just this massive knot on his head from getting hit. Like it was huge. It was like, oh my gosh. But I remember running in, I say running, uh, a brisk jog coming in from center field. <laughs> And I remember just yelling at guys, just telling them, you guys need to grow up, grow up. And Teixeira looks at me and just start dying laughing. And we, we cleared the benches with the Yankees a couple times. And both times, Kyle Farnsworth ends up next to me. I'm like, Kyle. And Kyle would kill you with his bare hands. I'm like, why are yeah. you standing next to me, man? Like, he had to keep his glasses on so he kind of looked nerdy at the time. But, like, the nerdy that would kill you in a heartbeat. But I just look <laughs> at him like, oh, why are you standing by, by me again, man? And he's like, ah, Vernon's fine. I'm like, you're damn right it is, because if you start going, I'm going, I'm running. So that was, those are some <laughs> yeah. interesting times. And there's big Yeah, because Far- Farnsworth is I, the guy who does like martial arts and he trains and he's like looking for that. Yeah. 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 But I caught, I caught him at the, I caught him at the right times though. Like he was never on the mound when he had issues. So like, I think he went to that place of like, I could kill you when he stepped on the mound. Outside of that, and if he had his glasses on, he was cool. He was chill. So it was, I like that Kyle Farnsworth. Yeah, I remember that brawl too. And like Vernon said, it ended up on their dugout all of a sudden because uh, Posada crosswind played and Carlson kind of he forearm shivered. Uh, Carl Carlson weighed what like 120 pounds, <laughs> and so he drops his glove and then they go and so it's like all the Yankees and then everyone's like running to try and save him and 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 uh, crazy and then CC Sabathia's grabbing everybody and just tossing bodies left and right and he obviously likes to be in the middle of those things yeah and yeah i i remember you, you you obviously were there vernon but david percy one of the quietest guys you know really like you know super nice big teddy bear and he i remember he had nick swisher on on on, on the ground and they were like wrestling each other i was like holy smoke <laughs> mm-hmm. i never knew he had that in him but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, the, uh, don't, don't cross the quiet people. Quiet, quiet people, people, you cross them, man. They, they come out and come out and kill you in a heartbeat. So, yeah, Percy's one of those people. Uh, he was big, too. You got to be careful yeah. of people, especially these days. Miss Martin, mixed martial arts. And you look at some little some little dude driving a freaking minivan, and he'd, he'd hem you up in a heartbeat, and you wouldn't even know what happened. So I don't mess with people, especially in Texas. You don't mess with people because of guns, or you don't mess with people because of mixed martial arts. So there you go. Yeah, Vernon, you have that football background. You even said it earlier where it's like football, you get to hit people with that attitude. You're like, you know what? You said it. There's a fight on the field, brisk jog. It's like, hey guys, what are we doing here? There's no need for that. Like, yeah. do you kind of, you, when you know it's coming, you kind of just like, damn it, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's some there's some times like, man, um, early on like Tampa days where we're playing Tampa and Carl Crawford. Uh, I don't even know if he got hit. He may have gotten close to being hit, but some things had gone on and he, the South Houston came out in him. Like he was trying to kill somebody and I'm trying to, I'm holding Carl and Carl had a really high pitched voice. So he's like, he's yelling in this high pitched voice was still kind of weird on a baseball field. Like you kind of sound like your face, but it's kind of weird that you're yelling in such a high pitched voice. So I'm just going to pick you up and we're going to go calm your calm, calm down, Carl. So we can, we collect our heads, man, 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 man. I can't, I can't repeat the stuff that he was saying because it was, it, it, it was only, you can only play those things on HBO and Showtime. So yeah, it yeah. Was, it was. It's fun. funny you say that because I remember hitting him 
and I mean, the scouting report is pounding him in hard in and I had developed a sinker, but my sinker still was like a work in progress. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to sink him in, sink him in. And I think I hit him twice and, and not in, in the same game, but like overall during season, I think the second, the second time he dropped his bat and I thought he was charging. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and then I saw him out that night and I was like, hey man, like, did you really think I did that on purpose? And he's like, like, it, like you said, in his high pitched voice, like, no, nah, man, that shit just hurt really bad. Yeah. <laughs> people, people don't know how bad it hurts to get hit. Like Reed, Reed Johnson would, he wouldn't move like 97 coming at him. He'd take it. I'm like, there's something wrong with you. Like most normal people, like if something's coming at him, you move like that's your natural that's your natural thought process. It's like, oh, oh, something's coming at me. Freaking facing Tim Wakefield. He saw a knuckleball and it's coming at me. I'm moving. Like, I'm, it's just natural. Like, why aren't you taking it? I'm like, He's, it's coming at me. So one, one time he actually did hit me with a knuckleball. I couldn't move because I didn't know where the heck, I didn't know where it was going. Like, he would throw a knuckleball and sometimes it would go up. Sometimes it would go left. It would go right. And I tried moving, but it, it found me. So I put my head down and I'm jogging at first base. And I get to first base and learn Fenway Park. And I kind of, I look up and he's standing right next to me, straight face. It's like, are you okay? I'm like, Tim, it was 65 mile an hour knuckleball. I'm going to be fine, man. It's funny you bring that up because I, one of the, 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 the cool things about you is like you had fun playing the game. You really did. And I remember like when you would face Mark Burley all the time, it was like, and he was, he was the same, you know, he loved having fun and, always laughing and 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 you know and trying to get you out but i remember you guys were laughing and he'd get you out and then i remember you hit a line drive almost at him and he's laughing at you like down the line you're laughing and it's just funny how you guys you know you guys played the game and obviously two successful guys like just you go out there and hey whatever's gonna happen happen and we're just gonna kind of have fun with it and i thought that was like the, the first time i saw that i was like shit, I don't think I could ever do that. Like, just smile at somebody for getting a hit off me. <laughs> Man, me and, so Mark and I, like, we, I mean, we faced each other a lot. And somehow, I ended up hitting 500 against him for my career. So, like, we would, well, I, I would walk up to the in the, to the batter's box the first, first at bat of, like, each game. He'd be looking at me kind of just like, and sometimes he'd go, <laughs> take his glove off and look at look at look at me and just like shaking his head and I'm like well here we go and i'd get a hit off of him he'd start yelling at me halfway down the line or take him deep and he'd start yelling at me again like or he'd get me out and he'd start talking trash and i'm like this, this is this is what baseball is all about it's like those are the things that people don't even get a chance to hear be a part of which hopefully we can do a better job as we get back into this game and if if we're gonna be limiting fans we need to we need to film things differently. Like we need, it needs to feel like people are on the field with them. We need to be able to hear things that are going on that you don't normally hear because we need to draw fans in what about, and get them uh, more involved in the game. I'm sorry about that, Ver. For both of you guys, you talk about something different and like you guys are not that far removed from the game. What about miking up the players? They've done it in spring training. Would that work? Yeah, it would work. It's going to take some censorship. Or it's going to have to play on some other broadcast networks. But, I mean, that's part of what this game needs. Um, 
you can hear things in football, you can hear things in basketball uh, at different times, depending on uh, what broadcast it is. And baseball needs that, especially we need to get our fan base younger uh, or we're going to start losing losing some of the things that, that generates revenue in, that, in the game. Uh, you got to be able to evolve and 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 keep keep that fan base uh, continue going for the next however many years you get a chance to play this game. And that's something that we get a lot on the podcast, Vernon. It's uh, we started doing it last year, and it was just something where I told Ricky, like, "Look, I know how to do this. I know all the technical stuff." Rick, you got the connection because I would hear stories from Ricky about what would happen in Toronto or his teammates. You know, I'm like, "Damn!" Even as a reporter, you don't hear that stuff, like, because you're there doing your job, interviewing. Hey, what happened on that pitch? And they think, who, "Who fucking cares about that?" Like those stories that you're telling right now, I think that's why our podcast is doing well and it's successful because fans are hearing you in a different light. Where, like, I would never would have thought that. You know, you and Mark Burley were having your own little games in between games. And, like, those are the stuff that I think fans really care about and engage about. Like, because everybody can break down uh, the rap soto and the trap soda with all these other sodas that are out there. But, like, tell me about just having fun. I think we've gotten away from that, too, where selling the game. Like, you're, you have kids. Do your kids play baseball? Uh, my younger one does, yeah. Your younger one. But the other one's a stud football guy, right? He plays football and basketball, and then my, my younger girl plays all three. So, yeah, I mean, it's we need to make baseball sexy. I mean, that's kind of what it is. NFL does a great job with it. Basketball, you go to a basketball game, it's, it's entertaining. Baseball is still kind of stuck to, well, this is the way we've always done it, and it's America's pastime. But America's pastime has gotten passed, so we need to we need to continue to – we need to market our guys better. Like, Mike Trout should be like Jordan. Like no matter where you go, you know who that face is. Like that's that's who he is. Mookie Betts. Like people should know who Mookie Betts is. Most people don't. If they saw him, they wouldn't. They wouldn't know who Mookie yeah. Betts was. They wouldn't know that he can bowl at three hundred. They wouldn't know what that he can. He can run routes at an NFL level. That he can jump out of the gym. They wouldn't know these things because they we don't do a good job of marketing our guys. It's hmm. true. I agree with that. I agree. I totally agree with that. We the game needs something to to be spiced up and. Having Mike Trout and Betts as the faces of baseball, like everyone should know. I mean, I watched you watch the Last Dance and just all the all the stuff that Nike did for Michael Jordan to be this this huge marketable guy. You're like, you know what? Like this does belong in baseball. And and a guy like Mike Trout, who is just you know the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, that conversation can be had all the time. But like, it's the Vernon Wells experience yeah. right now. Vernon, so. <laughs> Let me ask you a quick little fire questions right now. Favorite place to play in? Uh, old Yankee Stadium. Old Yankee Stadium. Uh, worst pitcher to go up against? He said it, I think. Uh, <laughs> was it Cabrera? Yeah, I said, it was Cabrera for me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Daniel Cabrera, for sure. Worst stadium to play in? Oof, you're going to do this to me. Uh, Fenway's Oakland. clubhouse, right? Fenway was terrible. Fenway? Yeah. Don't you say Fenway? I didn't mind Fenway. Fenway, Fenway was like, Fenway was horrible until they won a World Series, and then everybody was just happy as can be. Like, they were, they were the, they were, the, they were the most negative people I had ever been around in a baseball stadium. Like, sold out. As soon as they got knocked out of the playoffs, like Nomar Garcia Parr sitting 320 or 30 or whatever, and he gets booed as he's coming up to the plate. I'm like, these people suck. Then they win a World Series, and then everybody's freaking happy. I'm like, you guys, you, as far you know as playing the there, I didn't mind playing there. 
You want to know why the yeah. Fenway clubhouse wasn't bad for Vernon Beto? Because he why? was the guy that had lockers to him. So that's why. Oh, so, well then, it's all right. One little one, he had the big one, extra space in it. So he was comfortable around in there. Hey, <laughs> sorry about it. Sorry about yeah. it. That's your problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It took it took time to get that spot though. I had to work my way to that spot, but that clubhouse sucked. Yeah, it it's is. terrible. It's terrible. It yeah, so it's just some of the things we do. I want to ask Sorry. you something really. You obviously went through a few All Star games, but talk a, just a little bit about how it was walking WBC clubhouse because you were part of that team that obviously uh, you know failed expectations, but the amount of stardom on that team was crazy like you know you walk into that clubhouse you're like whoa like am i really suiting up next to ken griffey jr you know yeah i mean i just i actually just pulled that that jersey out uh, when we we're moving <clears throat> and then kind of thinking about and i saw a picture of the, the guys that were on that team yeah it's griffey it's jeter it's a-rod it's clemens it's uh some of the young future stars of the game like it was it was it was amazing to be on that team. Chipper, like Chipper was Chipper was awesome. Like some of the stories and stuff that would come out of his mouth, it's just like I get getting to sit sit in the clubhouse with these guys and and play on the team with these guys. It's it's nuts. So yeah, I think if the expectation level changed after that because we didn't know like at that point. Like I I was ready, but I was young, so I'm like I, I get a chance to play. I'm I'm I was getting ready early be ready for the WBC veteran guys were like well I mean we're ready I mean most of them half of them were hall of famers of the old guys that were on that going to be hall of famers anyway so they're like yeah we we got this and they could flip a switch when they needed to flip a switch too uh, I remember us having them beat South Africa uh, to make it to the playoff round and then it was it was over with at that point like for for, for the South Africa good whatever poor kid started that game like he i think we put up 12 runs in the first inning and it was it was a slaughter i felt so bad for a guy but they had to say we had to win but we ended up losing i think mexico i think so it was it is what it is yeah no i i mean it i you look at that and you're just like holy smokes that the amount of stardom and superstars and like you said future hall of famers it's crazy there man yeah, yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was yeah. It was think about the guys who were on the bench. I think it was like it was uh, Matt Holiday, uh, Michael Young, uh, myself. I was kind of in and out, um, and there's Jeff Francoeur, a couple of the young pitchers. It's just like this is this is awesome. And we're just sitting there, kind of looking at each other. What the heck are we doing on the same <laughs> field as these guys? Like they didn't even make any sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a different world, man. The the sport of baseball has done great for you, Vernon. We, um, I know I saw a picture of some of uh, the memorabilia you have, uh, jerseys that you have. What are the non-baseball ones you've collected? Uh, so, yeah, what, David Beckham. Um, oh. So, Beckham, yeah, Beckham came to Toronto, and in Toronto, like, we didn't really care, like, who came into the clubhouse. Like, if you walk into our clubhouse and you were a member of the team or not a member of the team, there's no telling what could happen to you. So Beckham walked into our clubhouse, and we are all hitting our lockers with Nerf guns. So he turns a corner, and we just start spraying them with Nerf guns. Like, 
just it was it was hilarious and he loved it like he just started dying laughing uh got a chance to meet him and uh i mean i was he's he's one of the cool ones but i stuck more to more to my baseball guys like football guys i have a few too but uh like hank aaron i got him to sign jersey uh willie mays like some of the some of the older guys that were special in this game i was able to kind of if there's ever opportunity where I heard one of those two are going to be around, I made sure I had a jersey ready just to just to say I had it and put that up. That's cool. That's cool. My only regret from not being with the Giants in spring training, having Willie Mays there in the clubhouse, not getting a jersey signed by him, you know. And I know his his health wasn't it isn't good, but I so I didn't want to be that guy to be like walk up with a jersey and say, hey, here's sign my. Sign my jersey, you know, and so I was like, ah, I'll just take a picture, you know. So that's that's kind of oh, you did I get a picture with Willie Mays, I do, yeah. Oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. I, I have it there, it is. And Vernon oh, Muhammad, Ali, Muhammad Ali. You got yeah, I have Muhammad Ali's back, yeah. I have his boxing gloves. Uh, I met him when I was 12, and then I met him again, or I saw him again, uh, with the Angels. Uh, he was in the clubhouse during spring training, but I met him when I was 12 for the first time. And he was still, he still kind of had everything functioning uh, normally at that time. So uh, I got a picture with him, and he's punching me in the picture. Like it's those are uh, some cool moments that have taken place. How did you meet Muhammad Ali? At a trade card show, like because my dad was doing the upper deck uh, checklist cards at the time. So at a card show, and Muhammad Ali's there. It's like, all right, let's do this. When you mentioned the Nerf guns in the, um, who was who were we just talking about? Uh, uh, Doc, uh, Kate, uh, we, somebody drew this picture or this sketch of Alex Andropolis drop. Uh, told the story about how you guys were Nerf guns one day, and 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 Casey says he hit Doc like two or three times on the start day, and he was scared shitless of. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing you never did on a start day of Doc. One was talk to him. You didn't talk to him because he didn't. He wouldn't see you anyways. Like he'd walk right by you and not know you were there because he was focusing on one thing and I was devouring whatever opponent he was facing. Yes, he was going to eat you, and you didn't want to stand in the way of that and or make a mistake on the field when he was pitching because he'd look at you just like this death stare of like I'm going to kill you if you make another mistake. So. But we didn't really have many opportunities to make mistakes because he would dominate everybody he faced. <laughs> That's it. Are you so Jack Winery is uh, Jack Winery. You guys are going to check it out online. Uh, the wine is available from Napa. Vernon Wells, Chris Ayanetta. Uh It's pretty cool. We see it. The, it's on, it's on delivery. It's uh, getting to you people pretty soon. Uh, go and check it out. It's a passion project for Vernon and Chris Ionetta out in Napa. So our next podcast with Vernon will be from the estates in Napa. We are taking the show on the road, and if Vernon's not there, we'll still do the podcast from Napa. In honor of you, Vernon, we'll take. We'll let you know how your wine's doing, uh, Merlot, all that other stuff. And if you guys see Ricky's wearing that hat from Westside Love, uh, use the code Ricky Dash Row. Ricky Dash Row and get you 15% off of Westside Love. You see the shirt behind me. We've got the Padre Brown, pretty cool. Uh, and also 101 Cider. Go and use the code Romero and you'll get a discount from 101 Cider. And Vernon, 
Uh, thanks a lot for everything. Thanks for telling the maintenance guys not to knock down that wall during the middle of the podcast. We appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> but Ricky, finish it up, man. The question we always ask. Yeah, before we always like to end it like this, Vernon, again, thank you for, for coming on. Um, being through everything you've been through, what advice would you give your old Vernon Wells? And I'm guessing your kids now, you know, about sports and, and everything yeah. you went through. Um, enjoy the moment. And uh, when I talk to guys now or young guys now, um, enjoy it because it, it, in a blink of an eye, it's, it's done. Um, and then when you're out, you're out. Like, it's almost like it never even happened at points. So, uh, and enjoy living in the moment, um, enjoy the, the good, the bads, um, impact people and make sure you impact the lives that you're around because, uh, those are the things that are going to stand out the most. So, um, for me, it's, uh, I told you before, I'm a believer. So being a believer means, uh, others above yourself. And it's, it's a matter of, of, of spreading that. And as, as believers, we can all do a better job of it because we're no better than, than the next person. But unfortunately, <laughs> Some of us who are believers like to push people away because they think they are better. We're not better. Uh, we just we believe in something different, and we got to love on people. Like you love on people, you draw people in. You 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 put a smile on people's faces. It's little things that we can do on a daily basis that will make this this country and this world a better place. And, and really well quick, on, really quick on that, Beto. I, it's a fun, It's a it's a story. It kind of relates to that a little bit. I remember. Were I was at a coffee shop ordering coffee. We we're at Dunkin' Donuts. Vernon was standing in line in front of me, and and I don't know if you remember this story. I, I like walked up to order, and you're like, "Oh, go ahead, order it. I got you." And I ordered, and then you give the lady a hundred dollar bill, and you're like, and she's like, looks at you like a uh, hundred dollar bill at Dunkin' Donuts, okay? And then you're like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead. There's a line. Pay for everyone in this line." Is this is that something that? about making somebody's day is that something that you normally would do like on a on any other day i mean i saw it that day and i was like that was so cool you know like i thought that was like really cool like all these people in their suits like, getting ready for work probably in a hurry you just like pay for all their coffee and who knows if the cashier kept it herself or she actually, or she actually yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was i remember that i remember that moment and remember thinking well if 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 that cashier needs it more than me and more needs it more than them, then she needs that money. But if it has an opportunity to be somewhat of a blessing in the lives of the people behind me, awesome. Like at that point, the money that I had was a was a blessing. So my job as being that blessing is to bless others. So in moments where I get pressed to do that, I do it. And whatever comes out of it comes out of it. But yeah, I remember that moment because I, I kind of had that thought too. I think we may have shared that thought of like, well, she kept it. If she kept it, maybe she she needed it. And that's where we're supposed to be. Real really cool. cool moment. Those cool stories. It's always the stories that you hear on the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. Uh, well, shout out to Stocky in Toronto who keeps uh, listening every single time. Let us know what's going on. The Toronto Fire Department, Rick, actually sent me a message. They were watching us live on YouTube. So members of the Toronto Fire Department, appreciate you. We also have members in uh, mm -hmm. the Ricky Roll fan club in the UK, all over Canada, Texas, 
people watching all over appreciate it. Vernon Wells, definitely have you back on. Hopefully, we get to do it in person next time with uh, well, you yeah. said you have some Merlot going right now, so we'll get well, yeah, I'll do Merlot. New, I'm normally a cab guy, but for you, Vernon, I'll go Merlot. We'll, we'll have a taste test, it'll, we'll have a taste test in, in an hour of doing this. We'll all be hammered, and it'll be made for me. People be paying for just to I watch see, the reruns of, of us being drunk and talking. I say we yeah. invite some of the team, have a podcast and drink wine in the in the Wells estate. Boom, done. Play golf and drink yeah. wine and do podcasts. Man, <laughs> how about we do all that without the podcast? Let's just forget that. <laughs> it's too much work. <laughs> Vernon Wells, we appreciate you. Thanks to uh, John McKelvey and everybody at Pro Angle for putting this together. Thanks to you watching it. And if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, make sure you rate and review. And still got a couple more stickers left. Uh, don't DM Ricky because he doesn't check them. Send them to me, Bethel Vision or Grand Sports. I'll send you the Let's Go Ricky Roll stickers because Ricky can't check messages because he's got a four-year-old and a one-year-old and a puppy. So it's a lot of stuff going on in his plate right now, people. So for Vernon Wells, Ricky Romero, thanks to everybody watching the Let's Go Ricky Roll podcast. Let's go.